0: Part, the place where we answer your money questions i'm your host heather katsonga woodward and in this week's episode we're gonna talk about the wealth of black people in britain and the things hindering black adults from succeeding financially if you want to share anything anecdotal please click on the related resource in the notes and make a comment I want to know your experience. And even if you're white, I'd love to know your thoughts. White or non-black, should I say. Even if you're non-black, send your comments right through. Thank you. So, building on the last episode, which was on seven things that hold black children back from succeeding before they're 18, this is the current economic status for black people in the UK relative to other groups. First, I'm going to go through assets. And within assets ownership. According to gov.uk, 63% of adults in England own their own homes in the two years from 2016 to 2018. So that's almost two-thirds of households owning their home, and I guess that makes it about 37% renting. And if we look at the different ethnicities, 68% of white British households own their own homes, compared with 74% of Indi- Indian households almost three-quarters of Indian households own the house they're living in. That's a fantastic statistic. Households in the Black African and Arab ethnic groups had the lowest rates of home ownership at 20% and 17% respectively. Home ownership among Black Caribbeans was at 40%, which is twice that of Black Africans, which is 20%. In every socioeconomic group and age group, white British households were more likely to own their own homes than all ethnic minority households combined. At the end of this, I'm going to discuss how I completely do not understand how only 20% of black Africans own their homes, because the income discrepancies we're going to talk about in a minute don't add up to this kind of differential in home ownership. Next on assets, we have pension assets. According to a January 2020 report by the People Pension Compared to white ethnic groups, black ethnic groups have 27% lower pensions. Asian ethnic groups have a 30% lower pension. Mixed heritage groups have a 13% lower pension. And Arab and other groups have a 6% higher pension. I think this Arab and other groups having the higher pension is probably disproportionately non-Arabs. Because the stats show that Arabs have generally lower incomes and lower asset bases. The average gap between a female pensioner from an ethnic minority group, unfortunately not subdivided into black and other other groups, and a male pensioner from white ethnic groups is 51%. So an ethnic minority woman is likely to have half of the pension that a white man has. This figure is 27% for an ethnic minority male pensioner. So you understand, compared to a white man, an ethnic minority man has 27% less in their pension. In numbers, the average ethnic minority pensioner has 3,350 less in annual pension income. Ethnic minorities are also less likely to qualify for auto enrolment into a workplace pension because they're more likely to earn less than the auto enrolment threshold of £10,000. So one of the policy suggestions there is make the threshold £6,000, then many more people would automatically be enrolled into saving for a pension. Now let's move on to income. Again, according to gov.uk, in the year ending March 2019, the median annual household income in each quintile before housing costs were paid. So this is household, not individual income. For the top quintile, so in the top 20%, it's 54000 So that means if you look at the top 20% of people in terms of income, the person in the middle is earning 54000 The second highest quintile had a median annual household income of 35700 The middle quintile had $26,800. 2nd lowest quintile, 20500 Bottom quintile, 13300 so again, if you look at the bottom 20% of earners, the person in the middle in that bottom 20% is earning about 13300 If we look at the bottom two quintiles, so that is the lowest 40% of income earners, if you're black, there is a 57% chance that you are there. Only two ethnic groups perform worse than us. 67%, so two thirds of black Bangladeshis, And 74%, almost three quarters of Pakistanis, are in the bottom two income quintiles. And only 38% of whites and 38% of Indians are in the bottom two income quintiles. I'm not here to give reasons for the Bangladeshis and the Pakistanis, but I know one of the reasons they isolate this is that Pakistani and Bangladeshi women are much less likely to work. That's one of the reasons. If we look at the top two income quintiles, that is, the highest 40% of income earners. If you are black, there is a 25% chance that you're there in the top 40%. Only two ethnic groups perform worse. Only 15% of Bangladeshis and 11% of Pakistanis find themselves in the top two income quintiles. And 42% of whites and 44% of Indians are in the top two income quintiles, which is is good numbers and these align. you expect if we're looking at the top 40 percent 40 percent should be you know in the top 40 percent and for whites and indians they're overshooting at 42 percent and 44 percent and at at the same time they're undershooting in being in the bottom two quintiles i'd expect 40 percent to be in the bottom 40 percent but for whites and indians alike it's 38 percent so very close to being proportionate these figures are before housing costs and the picture changes a little bit after housing costs, but I chose to present the before housing costs picture because there is a degree of discretion with regards to how much a household decides to spend on housing. Whilst there are income disparities that will feed the gap between the assets of the rich and the assets of the poor, I feel as though the reasoning behind the asset differential is very basic and needs further exploration, which I've very much struggled with to find in the research moving on to job security do ethnic minorities just work less and as a result earn less no no we don't according to gov.uk 75 percent of working age people in the uk so those aged 16 to 64 in england scotland and wales were employed in 2018 so three quarters of people that are working age work 82 percent of people from white ethnic groups were employed and this is the highest percentage out of all the ethnic groups. And 57% of people from combined Pakistani and Bangladeshi ethnic groups were employed. And this was the lowest percentage of all ethnic groups. And 67%, so two thirds of working age black people were in employment. Based on these stats, therefore, the employment rate for black people is eight points lower than the average for the population as a whole, and 15 points lower than for whites. In addition, it's worth noting that black people and other minorities are more likely to be self-employed, be on zero-hours contracts, and are generally more likely to be employed in less secure, lower-income jobs, including as part of the gig economy. Two things stand out as definitely missing for me. How many ethnic minorities don't own a home in the UK, but own a home or even homes back home in Africa or the Caribbean? This would be an interesting statistic to get hold of, but the government would probably struggle to get any meaningful data on it, except perhaps through anonymized surveys. The second thing that I find missing is that what proportion of people are struggling to build a meaningful asset base because a high proportion of their money goes to supporting relatives back home? So with regard to this issue of sending money back home, I found a few stats that might be helpful. Remittances are a key component of economic growth in Africa. According to Pew Research, money sent by the African diaspora to their home countries in sub-Saharan Africa reached a record $41 billion in 2017, and this was a 10% jump in remittances from the previous year. Another source suggests $46 billion was remitted in 2018, So, 41 billion in 2017, then 46 billion in 2018, is more than a 10% jump. That would be the official figures, but I know for a fact billions more are remitted via unrecorded channels. Official development aid to Africa was just shy of 52.8 billion in 2017. And these are the OECD 2019 statistics. So, it shows that the amount we are remitting as the diaspora very much competes with the amount that's going in aid and we know everyone talks about the billions of aid that are just being wasted on africa but we in the diaspora are doing as much and maybe right now even more and provided this money isn't all being used for consumption the wealth accumulation of africans is probably underestimated if we look purely at wealth held by the diaspora within the countries that they've decided to settle in and After a couple of chats with one of my friends, I added five more things. So in addition to the two observations that I've got that are completely missing in the literature, being the remittances and being people owning homes abroad, but not in the UK and the government not knowing about it. These are the things my friend Brenda and I came up with when we're discussing the low rates of home ownership within the African diaspora. One, there's a knowledge gap in which either people don't think of buying a home because they don't think it's possible or they think it's a complex process. So there's a mental barrier where you're like, I'm not even going to think about it because you just don't think it's something that's for you. you. You're associated with rich people and not something that's achievable for ordinary working people. The second thing is misinformation within our community with regards to financial sense and the actual financial sense of buying a home in the UK when optically they look really expensive relative to buying something back home. Then the third thing is just poor financial literacy in the black community, including the fact that we're not held to account by our community in the same way, for example, Indians are. And four, it's just the lifestyle. We figured the lifestyle will live might not be agreeable with wealth building. So Indians as a lifestyle sometimes frequently have many full-time earners living in a common household and this allows a reduced cost of living home home ownership at a much earlier stage including home ownership for investment purposes. They just make that whole pooling resources together thing work. And I think there's lessons to be learned and things that we can adopt into the black African community in order to build wealth in the same rapid way and finally we know that a high proportion of people are struggling with mental health problems meaning it's more difficult to deal with big life issues like home ownership they become stresses and triggers and generally mental health is higher amongst the the black ethnic minority population Uh, than it is amongst whites we just deal with a lot more stress and actually i've said five here but there's another issue that we identified that i haven't listed a sixth thing and it's a big thing is the amount of fees people are having to pay for to the home office in order to stay in britain a family of five will pay about thirteen thousand pounds every year every two and a half years in order to renew their visas That means, and they have to do this for 10 years. So four times for your family of five, you have to pay 13,000 pounds. That's over 50K. That's a significant deposit. And more often than not, people don't have this money. So they get this money from payday loan sharks and are paying exorbitant interest on top of this already high fee. I mean, if you think that the median income in Britain is around 30K, 13000 in fees to just have a visa to stay in this country sounds huge. And it is huge. I mean, a loan shark could not come up with a better scheme for making money. And it's a travesty. It's a travesty. You're taking advantage of people that certainly do not have the voice, the cohesive voice to fight for their rights and say, this is wrong. You can't charge people £50,000 for a visa. I get incensed when I think about it, so I'm, I'm just going to move right along. The UK doesn't have an identical history to the US in terms of race, segregation, Jim Crow, and certainly I don't think UK mortgage lenders discriminate according to race, directly or indirectly, but if someone thinks they do, I'd love to hear their story. Moving on to social mobility, According to research from the University of Manchester, ethnic minorities in Britain are experiencing growth in clerical, professional and managerial employment. So this is absolute mobility. But they face significant barriers to enjoying the levels of social mobility of their white peers. So relative mobility is struggling. Again, they note that immigrant minorities have lower rates of social mobility than does the rest of British society their children experience rates of upwards mobility that are similar to their white British peers. Despite this mobility, the second generation still faces what they call significant ethnic penalties in the labour market. So I I think this is a kind of positive stat. It says first-generation immigrants have low rates of social mobility, so they don't tend to move up economically, but their children do. This research from the Uni of Manchester notes that levels of educational attainment have improved significantly for ethnic minorities, but these have not translated into improved outcomes in the labour market. The success of policy interventions and third sector projects targeted at ethnic inequalities in early childhood and education contrasts to the continuing employment barriers faced by young black men and Muslim women. This finding means that even if they succeed in education, Young black men and Muslim women struggle to get jobs that are commensurate with their human capital. Apparently, unemployment rates for black African and black Caribbean men have consistently been triple those of white men. What factors could be holding black people back? Well, when it comes to discrimination in the labor market, some of the same things that lead to targeting or discrimination in the formative years as described in my previous episode, can also adversely affect the likelihood of black people getting well-paid jobs. So things like your name. Some research suggests people with non-white sounding names are called to interviews at lower rates. And I'll be the first to admit that my CV frequently has Heather Katsonga Woodward reduced to just Heather K. Woodward when I'm sending CVs out? Because I don't want to face this discrimination. I want to make the interview because I know I will impress and succeed at the interview stages. Two, black hairstyles can be interpreted as not professional and lead to potential employers not hiring a black person based on their hair with reasons like, we don't think they were an appropriate fit. Certainly, when I go to interviews, I make sure to have a westernized wig on, because I don't want my hair to hold me back. Once I get the job, I do style my hair as I please, but at that interview stage, I am complying and just being as simple as possible. Three, the perception of being threatening may prevent black people and especially black men from getting jobs that they desire. This was discussed in a little bit more detail in the previous episode. This is episode number 35. If you want to listen to that particular episode, episode 35 is the one on black children and what hinders them. Four, the stereotype that black people are less intelligent, an absolutely abominable stereotype to hold in this day and age, may prevent some getting well-paid jobs and result in a higher propensity for black people to be hired into lower-skilled manual jobs. And five, all the issues of poverty and educational inequality and racism in educational institution that were covered in episode 35 are cumulative and have long-run negative effects on black people's economic prospects. So there you have it. This is a summary of the current wealth and income statistics for black people in Britain. I think it raises a lot of questions. I would love for people to contact me and leave a voice message or a written note at katsonga.com forward slash coach, or as a comment on the related resource, see the notes of this episode, explaining what they think has helped them succeed or what they believe is holding them back from progressing to higher levels in their career and in building wealth. This is the end of our two-part series on black economics i hope you enjoyed it and you weren't bored by the stats but this is a fascinating field for me for obvious reasons thanks so much for listening if you want to ask me a personal finance question please type themoneyspot.co.uk into your address bar and you'll be redirected to the exact page on my website where you can ask a question there are three things i would love you to do why don't you have a look at my ebooks or courses my property course is the top rated uk course on udemy for people who want to begin to invest in property my notes to debt freedom give you an a to z guide on how you can go from debt to zero debt and finally my workbook b school for money wise wealth bound kids will be a fun book that you and your kid can go through together to start teaching them all the common sense things they need to know about money so that they never, ever struggle with debt. The second thing I'd love you to do is to please rate me five-star on Apple Podcast. And if I don't yet deserve your five-star, please send me a message and let me know how I can earn your five-star rating. And finally, if you're just loving what you're hearing and the value I'm putting out there, look into the show notes and buy your girl a coffee thank you have a great day